Guys, uh, the praise team, thank you, thank you. I mean, you set the ball for a guy to spike it, but I'm so short. <laughs> but I stand on your shoulders and others who lift me up, those who come and pray before uh, the service. Um, see my dear brother Charlie here. Our Air Force ties are, are deep and, and long. Anthony in the back gave me a little wave when I came in. That, that, all those things, you know, seeing different folks as you come in, you go, man, the music's got us there. The Lord's Word is there. Now let's just see if we can bring it all home. Uh, today, I want to tell you about an interview that I had. And um, some of you might be surprised. Some of you say, well, you should have taken the job uh, <laughs> under your breath. Uh, it was about three months before I retired. I got a phone call from the Southern Baptist chaplain in Dorsher and said, hey, you're gonna, your name is being submitted for a possible denominational job. Not his job, because if it was his job, I probably would go, oh, hey, hey you know, I'd, I'd like to have your job. Uh, and he said, so you should uh, take this interview. And I said, well, let me tell you, I, I've already accepted a position at a church. I'm actually working part-time at the church, full-time in the Air Force. And as I told everybody, I was doing two jobs poorly. Now I just do one job poorly. But he said, well, I still think you should take the interview phone call if you, if you have time. So I said, sure, why not? And for all I knew, they had a quota of interviews they had to do before they hired somebody. So I thought, I'll be another one to, to help them, you know, tool it down to who's the right guy. And I had the interview with this guy, and uh, I knew him. He knew me. We'd had breakfast uh, or lunch at a, a conference probably four or five months before. And uh, when we got off the phone, I realized that either he didn't know who I was or he thought I was someone else. Even though he called me by Cliff and called me Chaplain Perry, I, I don't think he had the right guy in mind. And... Uh, I mean, the job was intriguing, but yet the whole thing was confusing. And, and if I needed affirmation to be at this church, that was a good point right there for me to take and say, God, thank you for steering me where I am because I wasn't going to take the job if offered. I think Nicodemus, as we talk about him today, um, he has an interview with Jesus. This is chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, and we're going to take up where Pierce left off last week with just those last couple verses of John 2. But this is the first of three interviews that Jesus will have with three different people in the coming, coming chapters. He will actually interview a Samaritan woman, and he'll also interview a uh, official, uh, government official who he, his son is, is dying or ill. Um, so at this interview I had, I was confused. I think Nicodemus was coming for answers, but... To the point we read today, there was still some confusion because you'll see it in the text as I read in just a bit. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John. We've been in John now for almost the entire year, and uh, we're just now getting to chapter 3. But before we go there, it's important to take these last two verses of chapter 2, which at face value are somewhat confusing in and of themselves. It may depend on which translation you have, but in essence, you see in, these, in those two verses that there are followers of Jesus because of the miraculous things he has done, but Jesus does not reveal himself to them. It says in the NIV, he does not entrust them with himself because he knew their hearts. I thought, wow, inter interesting. So hang with me on that. Verse 23. 
Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing. You could pause right there. The only miracle we know so far is the water and the wine. But as you know, at the end of the book, it talks about there are many things that are not contained that Jesus did. So obviously, he was doing some amazing divine things, and the word was getting out. And, he, and they, these people, believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Some translations will say he knows what's in a man's heart. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. That is quite the statement. He's calling a radical non-trained preacher rabbi. This is a rabbi. This is like, uh, this quick illustration, PhD, university level, coming to someone who has no formal education and saying doctor to them. He says, Rabbi, you, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. There'll be an emphasis there on the we. It doesn't say me. He says we. Some would say this is Joseph of Arimathea that has gone with him because it's in plural. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracle, miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. With that process. This is a phrase that Nicodemus has never heard. Or at least at this point, we think he hasn't. He says, verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? From that, some commentators think he was already way over 60. That's not old. <laughs> Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. This is a very firm, man, you are the top of the class. And you don't understand these things? Let's pray. Father, as we look at the familiar verses and the lead into probably the best known passage in the Bible, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, a man who was seeking knowledge, seeking to understand who Jesus was, that he must be born again. And even in his informed mind, Nicodemus was confused. I pray it as we come today with 2,000 years of experience, hearing over and over, especially in our evangelical society, about being born again. 
that it would be a true transition in our lives, a true rebirth, a renewal, a restoration of broken hearts, a forgiven heart, that we understand who Jesus Christ is. If there's someone today who's never been born again, born from above, through your spirit, Lord, I pray that this would be the day. If there's someone here who has strayed off the path, the wind has blown and they've not found themselves where they should be. They did not hear or heed your voice. Lord, bring them back. This is our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a viral video that's gone out with uh, Riley Leon. He's a young man who was in the red Chevy pickup truck. Mike is not here. Mike, former music guy, had a Ford, so I picked on Fords as often as I possibly could. And at the time, I was driving a new Chevrolet. Now I have a Ford. So, um. <laughs> But nonetheless, this is going to be the best free commercial that Chevrolet has ever had in their lifetime. And I just happened to find the right video clip that sets it to a Chevrolet theme. So here we go. I go around. I was strong as I could be. I go around. Coming back. Nothing ever got to me. Introducing the most powerful line of engines ever in a Chevy truck, Vortec. Chevy, the most dependable, longest-lasting trucks on the road. That's crazy. That's Riley. I think that's yesterday or the day before, because I'd already thought, as soon as I saw that this week, and I read about the wind that's in this passage, I thought, man, this is coming together, Lord. Thank you for my video love. This is him in Fort Worth getting a brand-new 2022 Chevrolet Silverado. And you can see the card thing in the back. The dealership also gave his family a check for $15,000. Uh, this young man uh, was more concerned about his truck than anything else. So he was caught up in the wind and his life changed. Nicodemus gets caught up in the wind and the spirit of the living God and gets spun around too and his life will never be the same. Now, first thing I want to look as we look at this Nicodemus interview is that sometimes resumes fail. Resume fails. When was the last time any of you prepared a resume? Anybody in the past year have to prepare a resume? Pierce, keep your hand down. <laughs> Royce is in the back. Not from leaving up there, right, Royce? Something else. Okay. Anybody? Uh, Royce, I, I got, okay, some in the back. All right, yeah, okay, three, uh, good, good, good. So some of you have done resumes. And you know the difficulty in doing a resume because you know, when you were taught perhaps... David's giving me a little eye contact. I don't know when you were taught resumes, but I was taught resumes in college. I mean, that's like, you know, a long time ago. And then when I got ready to exit the Air Force, you had to go through this transition class that taught you how to redo your resumes. And, of course, they didn't know how to treat a chaplain. Well, a chaplain resume ought to be really weird. We don't know about that. Surely you have a bishop, right? I go, no, I'm Baptist. Oh, well, we, you, you work it out with your denomination. But big thing in resumes, what? You, you don't have typos. I mean, it's, that's kind of a... a a bad thing right there on the start. You got typos. And, and I mean, you know, you, you, your, your education sh stuff should be 
pretty accurate. You don't tell them you got a PhD when you didn't finish, you know, kindergarten. You, you, don't, you don't lie on your experience and say that you were the CEO of 17143 Clovis, which is my house, and think that that's, you know, like makes you a you know, CEO of a company. So all these kind of things are there. And, and there are obviously times when, <clears throat> well, some people have mission statements these days, and they may even have a goal. You're applying for this, and your goal is to be hired by them. And I, I did see a few, I start going down that rabbit hole of fails on the internet. I saw some really crazy ones. Uh, the one I have known for years, and Nadine, I'm looking at you, I'm sure you've probably seen some. I heard about a lady who was applying, or maybe it was a guy, who was applying for a preschool position, and he wanted to stand out from the crowd, so he did it on construction paper with crayon. <laughs> I mean, you preschool, I mean, that, that's pretty good, but he didn't get hired, or she didn't get hired. Um, but maybe sometimes in your resume preparation, you have felt that yours was light. It, it wasn't strong enough on experience or education. I mean, especially when you're young, uh, all those kinds of things could happen. But Nicodemus was a man who brought a resume that was stronger than anybody else in the land. His very name means conqueror or victor of people. His name means winner, if you will. Everybody's going to name their kids Nicodemus from now on, right? Winner. My kid's a winner. He was known for, I mean, his, his, like his name precedes him of what he was and what he did. He was a Pharisee. Look at this with me again. Maybe I can do it without my glasses. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling, ruling council. So not only is he a Pharisee, he's one of the 70 in the Sanhedrin. He is the top dog of the dogs. He's the alpha male of alpha males. He's the big man on campus. And some of us will look down our names and our noses and think about um, Pharisees. And I had to run back to my office after people looking, what'd you do, Cliff? You leaving already? No, I just remembered this. I, I wanted to read this. This is from Larry Osborne's book, uh, Accidental Pharisees, because we as Christians in this modern day all are guilty of becoming pharisaical in our understanding of what Pharisees were in Jesus' day. We, we think that they are, you know, arrogant, stuffy, stuck up, condescending, all those kind of negative things. But listen how uh, Larry explains it. He said, today, when most of us hear the word Pharisee, we conjure up images of hypo, hypo, hypocritical, 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 narrow-minded, puffed-up spiritual losers. But in Jesus' day, being called a Pharisee was a badge of honor. It was a compliment, not a slam. That's the first century Pharisee. They excelled in everything we admire spiritually. They were zealous for God completely committed to their faith. They were theologically astute, masters of biblical text. They fastidiously obeyed every rule and every command, even the most obscure. They even made up extra commands, extra rules, just in case they were missing anything. Their embrace of spiritual discipline was second to none. That's the Nicodemus is coming to, G to see Jesus. The Pharisees were held in such high regard that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul played the Pharisee card when they wanted to illustrate the highest levels of spiritual commitment. They knew their audience would be impressed when they said, you've heard it said, 
the Pharisees do this, you've got to do even more. Wow. This guy, with all of his experience, realized that his resume was failing. A man had appeared doing things in the temple, telling people that this is my father's house, a place of worship. He'd turned water into wine. He'd done other things that we don't have contained in these first two chapters. And he realizes that this man has to be from God. And he doesn't come and ask him immediately, who has sent you or where are you from? He just comes into his his, uh, audience and says, he came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform miraculous signs you were doing if they were not with him. He doesn't say, and tell me more, and then Jesus tells him that he must be born again. So, if we go back to verses 23 and 24, and I mentioned that there are some people there that were following him, but perhaps more for the razzle-dazzle, you know, the, 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 what do you call that stuff when you bedazzle your jeans or whatever? Is that what that's called? You know, bling. They're looking for the bling, right? Jesus was bringing some bling, and they want to follow him because of that. Their hearts, Jesus knew, had not changed for him. And uh, if you went to um, our Wednesday night uh, fish fry, is uh, Ed even here? He's probably at home recuperating, as well as the whole kitchen team. That was back to pre-COVID numbers. We had like 80, man, I'm Baptist, we had 100 people. No, it's probably, like, <laughs> it probably more like 80, 85. But I mean, that's our pre-COVID numbers for Wednesday nights. But in the video that we saw by Kyle Eidelman, he talks about the conjunction and. Uh, or there are other conjunctions, but uh, how Jesus, when he saw someone, he had compassion on them, and that conjunction, he did something about it. He turned his compassion into action. This first Greek word, D-E, in the first verse of chapter 3, can be translated and, or it can be translated as other conjunctions, but... So Jesus would not reveal himself to these guys in verses 23 and 24, but there came a man named Nicodemus. He already knew Nicodemus' heart. Nicodemus had the heart in the right place because that's why he wanted to be there. He wanted to know more about him. He came at night, some of you will say, oh, surely he was afraid of the, you know, the, the blowback if they saw him out with this radical young preacher. Ah. Perhaps, and most commentators will say that. And as you know, I take a weird spin on a lot of things. I want to think that he had a dark night of faith. Any of you ever been in such a dark place in your faith that you don't know anything to do but to trust Jesus? Maybe in your job, it's so rough and you can't go to sleep. You're so torn from what you're supposed to be doing or how you're supposed to live and you've got to come to Jesus. Maybe it's your kids that have kept you up in the night and you've got to go to Jesus. Maybe it's your, your spouse, your marriage. Maybe it's your health. All these kind of things that we have all been in dark times and in our deepest, darkest moments. Take a verse, take a line from Nicodemus. Go see Jesus. Hear it this way. There were those who would not 
let Jesus in their heart. But there came one who wanted Jesus in his heart. And it was a dark time in his life. And to that, he knew his resume had failed. And Jesus says to him, like that Chevy truck, I'll turn you around. And I may spin you and you might still try to go away from me. But you'll know you've been in contact with the living God. But if you'll follow me, I will show you the pathway to peace, to forgiveness, and eternal life. So when resumes fail, the next thing you have to do in that interview is understand the job description. You wouldn't apply to be a, I don't know, think of the job you wouldn't want. The guy who cleans out those port loos at construction sites wouldn't necessarily, did you know, he knows, there's a four-star general. That's what he did after he retired. He said, nobody wants to do that job. I can make some money. <laughs> Wasn't a bad idea, but I don't think I want to go to work for General Fogelman. But uh, in any event, um, you want to know what's in the job description before you apply, typically, right? I mean, you would like to know, is this a job where I'm working indoors or is this a job where I'm working outdoors, right? Am I, I mean, if you were hiring somebody, you'd say, you know anything about refrigeration, you know, and you'd probably have a job description out there. Uh, so it's interesting that in this interview, Nicodemus gets told what to do. And he's, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He had no idea what Jesus was talking about at this point. He came to Jesus acknowledging the miracles. We don't know what they all were, but he knew that they had to come from God. And he doesn't say who you are, but Jesus hands out this job description because he's come in and sat with him. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. As I said, Nicodemus thrown off and there's an argument within commentators on the original language. It can mean born again or born from above. Obviously, Nicodemus understood what Jesus said as born again. That's why some would say it's sarcasm. You know what I mean? I got to go back into my mama's belly. You know, I'm an old man. She's going to rebirth me. I don't think he, if you had sat in the presence of the divine, who you've seen do miraculous things, I doubt, even though most of you know me, I can cut a joke and I can be sarcastic. My kids know that. My wife knows that especially. But if I'm sitting across the table from the Lord having a night discussion that has been troubling me because of whatever else is going on in my life, I don't think when he tells me you must be born again, I'm going to do wisecracks back to him. I don't think Nicodemus really understood. So Jesus then has to explain to him the idea of being born again from above. That in other words, I mean, it works for us through our whole understanding of faith that there's nothing you can do of your own accord to save yourself. It only comes from above. Nicodemus had obviously never heard of rebirth. So in verse 5, Jesus explains this born again. I tell you the truth, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he is born of water some translators will just say water and spirit versus the article in front of spirit and it capitalized. As in the two have to go together. He has to be born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So you should not be surprised. He's saying 
You must be born again. Evangelicals have captured that phrase for centuries. You must be born again. And we have become pharisaical at times to ask people, when were you born again? Those who come, as we just had a uh, test drive class, those who come from different denominational backgrounds, perhaps were never exposed to that terminology. Not that just because uh, they didn't hear it, or maybe they did hear it, but it wasn't the way their church processed the conversion experience. Perhaps they went through a confirmation or some sort of uh, training period that they taught, were taught who God was, who the, what the Bible is, and who Jesus is, and how he reveals himself. And eventually, in some denominations, there'll be a Sunday where people are coming in front of the congregation, young and old. There are youth and adult uh, catechism-type classes. It will say, I now accept Christ, and I believe who he is. And you say, well, but that makes it a checklist faith, Cliff. You know, have you really been born again? Well, if your phraseology is all they need to answer, you've made it a checklist too. If you can answer, yeah, I've been born again, you are no different than the people in 23 and 24, verses 23 and 24, who have name only they know Jesus, not as in a changing of the heart. So be careful with your modern-day pharisaical approaches to people. Your job description in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It is job, have you ever heard of job crafting? Job crafting, and, and I just heard it this week, so it doesn't sound like I'm such a genius, I'm not, you know that. Job crafting is where the employer or the employee takes the job and changes it to the benefit of the company or the employee, the employer or the employee. The Air Force is wonderful at that. I had these long job descriptions, and the last thing it says, and any other duties assigned by the commander. Man, that's job crafting at its best. And I'm sure some of you have done that too. Your job says you do X, Y, Z, and everything else I want you to do. Uh, the, the result that I read was a company, uh, it was a study, research study between uh, Yale and another Big Ten school, I think it's Michigan, um, that had gone to study different jobs and people's value of their job. And they thought of one of the lower uh, unthankful jobs was those who clean hospital rooms, the janitorial staff on a hospital team. And much to their surprise, and I, I have this quote in here, much to their surprise, many of the housekeepers didn't see themselves as a part of the janitorial staff at all. They saw themselves as part of a professional staff and a part of the healing team. And that changed the entire way they did their job. These people would get to know the patients and their families and would offer support in small but important ways, whether it's changing out the box of Kleenexes, bringing fresh water, or a word of encouragement. One housekeeper reported that she liked to reposition the pictures in the rooms of comatose patients with the hope that the change of scenery might have some positive effect. And as wonderful as that is, job crafting... We cannot craft or change the way that you must be born again. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. 
It comes from above. Verses 5 and 7. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus had spent his entire adult life concerned about keeping the law, keeping the commandments, looking the part, not being seen doing unclean things that would keep him from going into the temple. From his headdress to his robe to his shoes, staying spiritually fit, if you will, outside. But Jesus is addressing the inside. When Spencer, my son, was living in North Carolina, he uh, worked at an oil change place. I don't think he worked there very long, but uh, nonetheless, he, he loves to tell the story about a convertible that came in on a wrecker. Uh, it had quit, and he said, this beautiful, I think it was a BMW Z3. It was either that or Miata, I know there's big differences, but two-seat convertible. Let's make it the BMW for preacher's sake, because it's more expensive. He said the car is super clean. The interior, he said, you know, it looks like the carpets have been shampooed. He said the outside, highly polished, had probably one of those ceramic coatings on it. The tires were even, you know, armor-alled, and they were shiny, but it wouldn't run. And they said when the lady, I think it was a lady, so forgive me. Let's make it a male because it sounds bad if it's a lady. When the man brought it in, when's the last time you changed the oil? Looked sideways at him and said, Is synthetic. You don't do that on synthetic ones. They put it up on the lift and took the oil plug out, and Spencer claimed that it was more like tar or asphalt, that you stuck your finger in it and some globs would come out, but that was it. That person had focused on the outside rather than the inside. And Jesus is telling us, Let's focus on the inside. Focus on your heart. Change your heart. Change your way of thinking and believing. Understand being born again that that is asking me into your life, making room in your heart for me that it pushes aside all the outward distractions. And then the outside will probably change as well. Because when the heart changes, you know, those of you who have gone through heart procedures, you want to get the heart going right, they want you to change how you live and how you act and how you exercise. Jesus says to Nicodemus, change what's inside. And once the heart changes, the actions of the body will surely follow the changes of the heart. Nicodemus would have to change his thoughts and his ways, and that's no easy task for any of us, right? I mean, you sat here today, seven minutes till the service is supposed to be over. Has this changed me at all? As you're pondering that, think about your last interview. Did you uh, wait uh, anxiously for that callback? That's always the most difficult time, right? After you've interviewed, will they call me back? Will they call me back? Even? I, I appreciate a callback even if I'm not going to get the job. That way I'm not like waiting and, and, and hoping and, you know, adding up what you thought you were going to make and how you're going to spend it and all those kind of crazy things. You wait for the phone to ring, and it's this emotional roller coaster. Did I get the job? Well, I looked at all types of videos, because I, I know by now, typically, uh, most of you are asleep, uh, whether it's my family or someone else is asleep. Uh, so this video is not a callback, but it is a, an excellent interview video. So here we go.
Mr. Goodman. What makes you think you're qualified for this job? Oh! Ah! Don't punch me! Don't punch Please How does that fit in the sermon? I really don't know, but it did. it's great. You know, you see these, I, get, I could say max it to the Lord, but uh, Nicodemus was told to listen to the wind. He said, you don't even know where it comes from. And I, I read different commentators, and I think maybe it's even in uh, one of the movies that's out, you know, that the wind in the room where Jesus was sitting with Nicodemus, that the fire flickered, and he was able to say, you don't know where it comes, but you, know where it's, you don't know where it's going, but it, it's out there. I want you to know when it comes to the callback of faith, Jesus will always call you back. You don't have to go to those extremes to get employed by the Lord. If you will simply do what he said in verse 3, be born again, born again from above. Your heart changed because of your faith in Jesus. That callback will be there each and every day you are alive. Every time you wake up, you will know that you've been called back into service for him. Undoubtedly, Nicodemus had taught that the entrance into the kingdom was in terms of obedience to commandments, devotion to God, submission to his will. And none of those are wrong, but to understand born again, he was confused. He was perhaps even skeptical. And Jesus in verse 10 says, Hey, right reverend. Hey, Dr. Nicodemus. You are the number one teacher in Israel. And you don't know the prophecy? This man would have had all of the Torah memorized. The first five books of the Bible, undoubtedly it was memorized. Perhaps even a large portion of the different major prophets, maybe even some of the minors. And there in those scriptures of the Old Testament are the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And he says, you of all people should know. Well, hmm. Okay. Maybe if we read it this way, and, and I, I struggled with this, because I think we always put Nicodemus in such a, a bad light. Uh, Nick almost threw, almost threw this illustration in and came. Nick is an art teacher. Did you know that uh, Da Vinci, he's the, uh, isn't he the uh, Sistine Chapel guy? He, he, does, he did a, one of the last marble statues he did. Uh, Nicodemus uh, is supposed to be him. He did his own like self-portrait in the face of Nicodemus holding Jesus. Um, why did I say that? Because I saw you, I guess. Uh, and you guys needed to know that. But Nicodemus, if you read it this way, that's what I'm saying. Nicodemus gets a bad rap. What if he had said, and you translate this, uh, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You've heard it you know, sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What if Nicodemus had said to him, Lord, 
I don't understand, but change me. Because what you're going to find out in the second part of this interview next week, the remaining verses, you'll see some beautiful words that Jesus tells us that each one of us can stand firmly, that there is a life after this life in heaven with the Father because of the work of the Son. And not only is he calling back to you, he's coming back for you. So I'd ask you now to stand with me, please, as we pray for a time of invitation. And if you've never come to an understanding that you would say, I'm born again, or I've been converted, or I've been saved, or I've been born from above, again, from above, now will be your opportunity to come forward. We can pray together. We can talk about this. But first, let's ask the Lord to move his spirit in our midst. Lord, as we come now to this time of invitation, I pray that, as Steve and I talked about, we would keep it simple enough that, Lord, we don't want to confuse anyone, but at the same time, we don't want people to leave here not knowing if they've been born again, not knowing if they've been saved, not knowing if they've ever followed Christ. Let your spirit grab their hearts, grab them by the hand and say, follow me. Let that heart change, that restoration from being separated from you happen through our faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, whoever needs to respond, you know them right now. I pray that they would find their relief and their release and find peace through Jesus today. If there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps and pray, we have some from our prayer team that would gladly pray with them. Move now, Lord, for we ask it, knowing that Jesus can save. Amen.